Good morning. I'm James Holman from The Washington Post, and this is The Daily 202 for Monday, June 1st. In today's news, as more cities burn, President Trump stays silent other than tweeting fuel on the fire. Confederate monuments are toppled across the South, and the rioting sparks alarm about fresh coronavirus outbreaks in the African-American community. But first, the big idea. Protesters took to the streets for a sixth night on Sunday as anger over the Memorial Day death of George Floyd in police custody burned across a country already reeling from the deadly coronavirus and the economic calamity that it has caused. As the violent and chaotic weekend drew to a close, officials in more than two dozen cities imposed sweeping curfews, including Minneapolis and St. Paul, the epicenter of the crisis. More local curfews were simultaneously in place across the country than at any time since 1968 following the assassination of Martin Luther King Jr. Governors in 26 states called in the National Guard, and Secret Service agents clashed for a third night in a row with demonstrators outside of the White House, where President Trump sought refuge on Friday night in a bunker under the building. At least six people were killed in violence this weekend that flared as demonstrations devolved into mayhem. Gunfire rang out from Detroit to Indianapolis to Chicago to Omaha last night, all places where authorities said people were slain in shootings connected to the protests. There were also scenes of peaceful assembly, as some protesters placed themselves before storefronts to prevent looting and brawling that's at odds with their message of nonviolence. By our count, more than 4,000 people were arrested for protesting this weekend. The events put America at a crossroads. As May turns to June, the question is whether the traumatic events of this weekend marked the climax of the unrest or its onset. Sirens blared all night long here in D.C. With the darkness came the mayhem. American flags and parked cars and buildings were lit ablaze, including St. John's Church, the historic landmark that's been open since 1816. Every president since James Madison has attended services there. Firefighters were able to quickly extinguish the basement fire, which police said was set intentionally. But vandals and looters roamed throughout Washington all night long, scrawling graffiti and targeting dozens of businesses well after Mayor Muriel Bowser's 11 p.m. curfew began. The smell of fire hung heavy in the air, and shattered glass speckled the pavement. Gone were the windows of the Lafayette Building, home to the U.S. Department of Veterans Affairs. D.C. Police Chief Peter Newsham, who noted that 11 of his own officers were injured on Saturday, including one who fractured a leg after being hit by a brick, blamed the violence and vandalism on a small group, and said his officers are prepared to handle further unrest in the coming days. Overnight, in Louisville, a civilian was fatally shot when authorities opened fire following a confrontation between a group gathered in a parking lot and law enforcement. In Omaha, Nebraska, James Skurlock, a black 22-year-old, was killed in a struggle with a business owner. In New York, police were filmed yanking down the masks of protesters, driving into crowds, and appearing to point guns at protesters. Mayor Bill de Blasio's 25-year-old daughter was among the hundreds who were arrested for protesting. Two Atlanta police officers were fired yesterday for excessive force. The mayor of that city said she ordered the firings after reviewing body camera footage of a traffic stop of two young African-Americans during the city's curfew. 
After ordering two students out of their vehicle, one officer repeatedly smashed the driver's window with a baton before tasing the driver, and the other officer tased the passenger. Both of the students in the vehicle screamed for the officers to stop and did not resist. A police officer in Florida was suspended last night after a video showed him shoving a kneeling woman during a protest in Fort Lauderdale. And the world is watching. In London, hundreds defied rules against large gatherings on Sunday for a rally at Trafalgar Square, and they massed outside the new U.S. Embassy. 1,500 demonstrators in Berlin waved signs reading, I can't breathe. In Canada, several thousand people rallied in Toronto to denounce racism and police brutality in America. Some officers marched and knelt with protesters here in the States, which created dissonant images from New York to Des Moines to Spokane, Washington. Members of law enforcement, sometimes clad in riot gear, knelt alongside protesters and marched in solidarity with them, which generated cheers from the activists. The act of kneeling has become synonymous with peaceful protests in recent years after former football player Colin Kaepernick knelt as part of his protest against police brutality on unarmed black citizens. Police from Lafayette Square in Washington to Miami to Santa Cruz in California have all been taking knees in solidarity. But acceding to the demands of protesters to take a knee has brought a rebuke in some places, including here in Washington, where last night a black officer who knelt was yanked from the crowd by his white supervisor. He returned a few minutes later, standing to hold the line, holding back the demonstrators. At least one of the business owners whose property was very damaged here in D.C. made a point to say that she bears no resentment toward the protesters. Michelle Brown learned at midnight on Saturday that her restaurant right across from the White House, Teaism, was on fire and burning down. Brown, still in pajamas, grabbed her hand sanitizer and her car keys to go see the damage. But before she left, she posted on Twitter, quote, Before anyone puts a single word in our mouths... Black Lives Matter. And that's the big idea. Here are three other headlines that should be on your radar as we start what will likely be another hellish week in America. Number one, never in the 1,227 days of Donald Trump's presidency has our nation seemed to cry out for leadership as it did on Sunday. Yet Trump made no attempt to provide it. And that was by design. Trump and some of his top advisors calculated that he should not speak to the nation because he had nothing new to say and he has no ideas of tangible policies or actions to announce yet. That is according to a senior administration official. Evidently not feeling an urgent motivation to try to bring people together, Trump stayed silent on Sunday. Instead, he let his tweets and retweets speak for themselves. One of those tweets attacked the Democratic mayor of Minneapolis, Another announced that his administration would designate the anti-fascist movement as a terrorist organization. A third accused the mainstream media of fomenting hatred and anarchy. And in yet another, he praised himself for deploying the National Guard and denigrated Joe Biden. This weekend exemplified many of the characteristics that have defined Trump's five years as a candidate and then president. Chaos and unrest, fear and anger, division and disruption. Some of these themes and qualities help draw Trump supporters to him, and they keep him faithful, giving him a chance at re-election in November despite the carnage on his watch this spring. Yet these same attributes make it challenging 
if not impossible, for Trump to inspire unity, according to officials in his own White House. It is an open question, too, whether Trump even aspires to unite the country. There is ample evidence that he does not, as he's built a political strategy around pitting groups of people against one another. Trump's record of racially insensitive and sometimes outright racist comments over the years has led many Democrats and even some Republicans to conclude that he does not fully comprehend our nation's history of racism and the corresponding tensions that live on today. Some on Trump's re-election campaign team, as well as some White House staffers, have been pushing for the president to deliver an Oval Office address, and they say he could do so later this week. But aides want him first to embark on a listening tour of sorts to develop constructive ideas. To that end, Trump intends to convene events this week with law enforcement officials, black leaders, and other stakeholders. Attorney General Bill Barr signaled aggressive steps to come in prosecuting what he called, quote, groups of outside radicals and agitators, and he singled out Antifa, the protesters who described themselves as anti-fascists, as responsible for the riots. Number two, on a night of violence in the former capital of the Confederacy, protesters in Virginia targeted Richmond's fraught history by covering Confederate statues with graffiti. That scene was repeated in Charleston, South Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, Oxford, Mississippi, Birmingham, Alabama, and several other southern cities. The statue of Confederate General Robert E. Lee, which towers over Monument Avenue in Richmond, was covered with graffiti, including the phrases, No More White Supremacy, Blood on Your Hands, and Black Lives Matter. The Stonewall Jackson, Jeb Stewart, and Jefferson Davis memorials were also defaced. A noose hung from the statue of Davis, who was the president of the Confederacy. The headquarters of the United Daughters of the Confederacy in Richmond was set on fire Sunday. In Charleston, protesters spray-painted the Confederate Defender statue with the words BLM and traitors. At the University of Mississippi, the phrase spiritual genocide and blood-red handprints were scrawled on the sides of a big Confederate monument on that campus. In Alabama, a monument to a Confederate naval captain was torn down last night. Protesters tied a rope around the statue's neck and heaved it to the ground. Number three. The rules of the coronavirus pandemic, so recently learned at considerable inconvenience, have been discarded on the streets in recent days. Protesters frequently find it impossible to stay six feet apart, to avoid hand-to-hand contact, or to dodge the respiratory droplets of their shouting, chanting comrades amid the swirling chaos. And because the virus can be spread by people with no symptoms, it can be impossible to figure out whom to avoid. Officials are worried about the possible impact of the protests on the health crisis. As of this morning, it's important to remember the United States has recorded 1.7 million coronavirus infections and 103,000 COVID deaths. A disproportionate number of them have been black and brown people. On the other hand, several circumstances play to the benefit of the protesters. Experts note that the most critical is being outside. Open space and breezes and sunshine dilute and disperse the virus. Atlanta Mayor Keisha Lance Bottoms urged demonstrators in her city to seek tests for the coronavirus as soon as possible. Muriel Bowser, the mayor of D.C., urged anyone who was protesting to self-isolate for two weeks. Meanwhile, in California, Texas, and South Carolina, authorities reported new single-day highs for infections and several other states reported surges of infections over the weekend. 
California set a record with 3,705 new cases on Sunday and has set new highs in three of the past four days. Meanwhile, Texas reported about 2,000 new cases, surpassing the previous record that had been set this last Thursday of about 1,900. Finally, I'll close today with what may be a silver lining. From the Andes to Tibet, the coronavirus seems to be sparing populations at high altitudes. The dearth of cases and deaths in high elevation regions, including Cusco in Peru, which gets a lot of international visitors but it hasn't had deaths, has prompted speculation that the coronavirus gets siroche, which is the native's word for altitude sickness. Similar results have been seen elsewhere. Scientists warn that the apparent pattern may not last, but the as-yet unexplained phenomenon has them intrigued. Researchers are starting to investigate a possible relationship between the coronavirus and altitude. It's a humbling reminder of how much we still don't know about this contagion. And that's The Daily 202 for Monday, June 1st. Thanks for listening. I'm James Holman. Let's hope June goes better than May did. Stay safe. I'll talk to you tomorrow.